1: 17 pregame show, Darren Urban. You were there. You probably weren't paying attention. You were in that booth. By the way, we it was a maiden voyage in that visitors' radio booth at SoFi Stadium. Very futuristic, Kyle. And 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 yours truly. I tried to, you know, raise my game. Paulie Pencilneck here on Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And in my intro, I liken the fact that there were 11 teams left. For seven playoff spots going into the final weekend of play and I said it's sort of like in honor of LA 11 teams 11 vehicles trying to merge into seven playoff lanes and very apropos it it turns out the Cardinals had their blinker on and they were trying to merge into the playoffs and just like it's LA in the 405 nobody stinking let them in and they got cut off and boom here we are out of the playoffs what do you guys think about that? Is that an apt analogy or what?
0: Well, it might be apt, but the problem is, is when you start talking about letting you in, as we all know, when that happens, you have to be super aggressive as a driver and make sure you force your way in, and clearly that's not what the Cardinals did. By the way, Paul, did you ever get the window open in the, in the booth? After?
1: Never, never. And, and, and that wasn't a fluke. That wasn't a mental error on the staff at SoFi Stadium because everybody was on top of it somebody decided they did not want to remove the windows there in the visitor's radio booth that was by design there's no doubt oh, about I
0: that i did not know that
1: yeah um you're right darren there are two kinds of people in this world those who will let a merging driver actually cut in front of them and get onto the freeway and those who will gun it while in the right lane and try and get a hit ahead of the person merging like kyle which one of those are you
2: uh, I think I'm very fair when it comes to that situation. If somebody's in front of me, I'll understand and let them go. And if they're behind me, then I'm I'm not gonna let up and let them have that spot. But I I don't gun it. But hey, if I'm ahead of you, I'm not gonna like move over and let you in. It just all depends on where we are in that pecking order for the freeway.
1: By the way, the freeways were completely empty. My analogy is is really is, <laughs> is, isn't rooted in reality. Uh, you, know, you guys are shocked to imagine. I mean this situation, whether it's the pandemic or what, but Darren, have you ever seen LA freeways so wide open during our trip there to play the
0: The freeways, even that downtown area where we stay, which I understand is more of a business area, but man, it looked like a freaking ghost town when we left the hotel. And uh, and no, super, I mean, hey, if you just wanna risk, you know, your potential life though, I'm sure Disneyland is not very full either.
1: I've been going to LA to visit family since I was a kid. I mean, you run into traffic jams at two in the morning on a Saturday, uh, you know, and and there was, it was free sale and it was, it was hard to believe, which is me just making small talk and avoiding the elephant in the room. The Cardinals finished by losing five of their last seven, the emotions, all the emotions of it all. Kyle, uh, describe your emotions, whether it was uh, after the game, whether it's the week hereafter. Uh, what what, what sort of roller coaster of emotions are you experiencing to describe this roller coaster of a season
0: I don't want to cut Kyle off but wait a minute is he the first person we go to talking about emotions I mean I don't know if Kyle's that guy but go ahead
1: that is true are there analytics on emotions think about that Darren (laughs) go ahead I
2: don't have a particularly strong emotions but looking at it from a fan perspective you know I think it's certainly a disappointing season in aggregate considering you were six and three, all the excitement of the hail Mary. I mean, even for a couple games after that, even though you didn't beat Seattle, even though you didn't beat new England, I mean, the Cardinals were a very good team through that game. And then for whatever reason, the wheels kind of fell off in these last five or so and Kyler Murray wasn't running effectively anymore. The other parts of the ground game weren't working and the passing game didn't pick it up. So a lot of question marks to me heading into this offseason. I mean, there's eight and eight, and point differential-wise, they they had a Pythagorean expectation of nine and seven. So overall, you look at the body of work, and it's pretty good. But I just go back to what happened offensively down the stretch, which gives me pause. And losing Kyler so early in that game against the Rams, I really wanted to see what he would play like, what they had up their sleeve, because I had a feeling that they were really going to go and, and put everything on the table, do design runs for Kyler Murray, really try to open up the bag of tricks and do everything possible to get into the playoffs. And we'll never know exactly what that scenario would have been because he got hurt so early.
1: When you guys look back, and we'll, we'll pick up on the Kyler and the injury, when you look back, did we ever give an explanation as to how and why and exactly when Chris Strebler beat out Brett Hunley to be the backup quarterback?
0: I mean, no, but I mean, if, if you go back to, uh, training camp, Paul, um, I, I distinctly remember, I, I think people were doing a Chris Strebler story at that point. It was later in camp and somebody asked if, you know, he had basically made up the depth chart or if Strebler still had a chance to be back up. And he's like, oh yeah, that's definitely possible. And I remember being stunned that day when we wrote about it and I'm thinking, this is just. This is just going to be Cliff Kingsbury kind of talking about or not wanting to let too much out of the bag. Um, but when we get to the first game, I'm sure Brett Hunley is going to be the backup. And then, you know, you and I were in San Francisco, Paul, and uh, the news came down as I was getting ready to put out inactives. Uh, and I get the news a little bit ahead of when they're allowed to be put out. And I found out that Hunley was going to be inactive and Strubler was going to be in there. And then at that point, I'm thinking, oh, they, this is about – little packages for Strebler and they want to make sure he's there. Um, but I never really thought we would be in a situation where he'd have to play a whole game. Now, the way it was set up, I mean, if you were going into every game with Kyler completely healthy and Brett Hundley inactive, of course, you're not expecting to go to the backup quarterback, but clearly you're the heartbeat away from a guy playing. So I don't know why I thought that that Strebler wasn't going to play a lot, but, Nothing that happened Sunday, and Kyler Murray, whatever happened at the end of the uh, 49ers game, Kyler Murray was healthy when that game started. Nothing was different than the rest of the year. So people – the, the argument of whether Brett Hundley should be the backup is a different conversation than why was Chris strevler the backup that day because that's, that's what it was all season. Nothing changed. It, uh, the only change was that Kyler Murray went down and couldn't come back in
1: and you had to go to your backup and that's why i find myself going back to the beginning as to how and why and when and where did Streveler end up ahead of Hundley on the depth chart and you know what we're able to see during training camp for example no preseason games you know there aren't a ton of reps obviously for especially the third string quarterback and what we are seeing in those situations you're not allowed to report on but even that being the case you know my mind wandered to everything from what is fred Hundley in the doghouse for some reason is Chris Stuller, just a better fit for what they want to do and keep the uh, offense in sync and keep it in cohesion with a quarterback who can run and pass, that you don't have such contrasting styles between Kyler and the immediate backup. Yeah, I just found myself wondering all season long, why is that? And then uh, to Darren's point, after the first couple of games in which they used in a in a sort of package or at least situations, and then they didn't use him at all for such a long stretch of the season until he was absolutely needed. And Kyler went out in week 17 at the Rams. Uh, again, it just sort of—I'm still looking for an answer to that question. Exactly how and, and why did Strebler beat out Brett Hundley, a guy who, in week 16 last year against Seattle, engineered for three quarters of that game a win at, on the road against that Seahawks defense.
2: He did. And I mean, I think it's pretty simple. I think it comes down to they evaluated both quarterbacks throughout training camp and felt like Chris strevler was the optimum choice if Kyler Murray got injured. And I never thought it was a, a package for games and stuff like that. I felt like they believed in Chris strevler as the number two over Brett Hundley. And I think if you look from an arm talent perspective, I think Brett Hundley has a stronger arm, a more traditional arm, like a, a, he's a better thrower. Um, but from games I've watched, I think when he's progressing through receivers, it's it's not fantastic. And maybe that was part of the evaluation. And I mean, we saw Chris Treveller in this game and he struggled. So it's hard to say that Brett Hundley would have been a, a worse choice because Brett Hundley may have come in there and done better. With that being said, you were already without Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald. You were going against a defense that might be, at this point, the best in the NFL. So I think no matter what quarterback was in there, it was a Herculean task to move the ball against the Rams. But I mean, you're right. Because of the way Chris strevler played, it certainly opened up the the question of of why was it him over Brett Hundley I mean if Brett Hundley's active in that situation you probably do flip quarterbacks after a couple series because you don't think it's working and obviously because he was inactive you didn't
1: have that choice to make in the national media cited quite a bit that oh Kyler's injury that he was banged up going into the game well I think for those of us who were there against the Niners in week 16 and you watched him walk off the field, he was the last guy off the field, didn't appear to be all that hobbled by that injury. And then by the time he was asked about it midweek, he literally laughed it off with the media. So he he was about as close to hundred percent as you're going to get in week 17.
0: Yeah. I mean, bottom line is he didn't, he wasn't, I'll take it a step further. The way coaches are, the way teams are, if and, and the way the Cardinals have been, quite frankly, if Kyler Murray had any kind of issues body-wise, injury-wise going into that game, I think they list him as limited. And you take it all the way to game uh, time and you call him questionable, even if you know he's going to play, because that's something you might do before you play a big game. And the fact that he was listed as full and there was never really any doubt that he was going to play... Uh, no, he was fine. And again, this had nothing to do with the the previous injury. This was a brand new thing when he got
1: landed on, on that sack. Honestly, Darren, when I saw your video that you posted and tweeted out, I think it was the first 15 minutes of practice, either Wednesday or Thursday. And he was doing, he was doing some of the pylons and going and doing some of the footwork drills. I'm like, he's good. Look at him. He's moving fine. So to me, there was your answer. You couldn't have that on display and then put him on the injury report. So uh, that, to me, wasn't a factor. That's a non-storyline that too many people have cited, I think, erroneously.
0: By the way, that video made it onto NFL Network there, Paul. They, they actually emailed me and, and asked me to use it because, you know, my iPhone is apparently next level for uh, NFL Network. That was big for me. I'm i mean moving far, on. We,
1: We've got cameras with $100,000 lenses, and then Darren's iPhone video is, is making it on NFL Network, you know? There's I another mean, hashtag
0: I'm just glad Kyler got it in the in the in the little hole in the net on, on the one throw that I happened to shoot.
1: Darren, did you get did you tweet out the word Wow this week and at any point and get like a thousand likes? If you did, I don't want to hear about it. Here's <laughs> what we're gonna do. Uh, I, I want I, I want your thoughts on, on on eight and eight because not every eight and eight is created equal. To borrow a phrase from our our pal Ron Wolfley. Right. There's eight and eight where you win the last four games of the year and you're rolling. You have momentum, supposedly. And then there's eight and eight when you started five and two and six and three, Kyle. So once again, I'm going to ask you to do the impossible seemingly for you. Give me your emotion, your reaction to this eight and eight, especially after a start in which you thought you were bound for a 17 playoff scenario in the NFC.
2: Yeah. I mean, the way it happened this way is obviously a lot more gut wrenching because the Cardinals in 2017 finished eight and eight and they were never really in the playoff race. And in 2016, they finished seven, eight and one, they finished well, but the season was already over. So I don't think it means as much when you finish eight and eight like that. I mean, it's not as exciting because you've already been eliminated from the playoffs for two or three weeks. This way, you know, you expected to make the postseason and everybody was excited about where you were going. And to finish two and five in your last seven, I, I, you know, I totally understand why fans are a little bit, you know, a little bit mad and a little bit upset about the way things finished because you had everything in front of you. You led the division after nine games. And even though, you know, the Rams and the Seahawks were so good that I think that was always going to be an uphill battle because the schedule got better at least you were right in that mix and I totally figured they were making the playoffs. So I think the fall off is, is it does hurt this team. I mean, I think from a a national perspective, from a local perspective, it's a lot worse to finish like this than it would have been to finish eight and eight in a different fashion. Um, You know, but if you look at it in aggregate, I think there were some good things. I think defensively they made major strides, especially with their pass defense Uh, But like I said earlier, to me, the concern is what happened offensively down the stretch. Kyler Murray not being a running threat anymore. And can you get that back up to what it was early? I mean, he went from about seven yards per carry in the early part to four, four and a half in the last few games. If Kyler Murray is not that dynamic threat with his legs, it completely changes your offense.
1: I mean, you had a team that seven times in its first nine games exceeded 400 yards, total yards in offense, and then once in their last seven games had 400 yards total offense. So there was the before and there was the after. And you look at some of the losses, at least to me, the first thing I think of are the quarterbacks you lost to, whether it was at New England and a Cam Newton who had a passer rating of twenty three point six, sub twenty four passer rating, and you lost that game? You lost to C.J. Beathard in Week sixteen. You lost to John Wolford in Week seventeen. That that to me sticks with me more. When I think of eight and eight, I immediately go to that, Darren. What about you?
0: Um, I agree with that, and and I think you know going to what you know Kyle kind of touched on with the offense. I mean, the Rams scored eighteen points and beat you. The Patriots scored 20 points and beat you. The 49ers scored uh, 20 points and beat you. I mean, those are numbers, especially this year, with the offensive explosion in the NFL, those are numbers that shouldn't beat you. That shouldn't beat a mediocre team at this point. And I think that's what was killer. I mean, we can talk about other things, but when the fans and people get upset about backup quarterbacks beating them, like Beathard or uh, Wolford, did they? I mean, they were on the field when they, when the the other team beat the Cardinals, but those were not the, those guys were not the reasons that the Cardinals lost those games. I mean, they lost those games because of, you know, in the case of the 49ers, it was about the rushing game and it was, and in both those cases, to me, it was about the offense. Now the Rams offensive game or the game the Cardinals had offensively against the Rams, that's easily figured out what happened there. They didn't have their quarterback and that just changed everything. And, and as I wrote after the game, I mean, if you've got to go to your backup quarterback, the difference was the Rams knew they were going to have to go to their backup quarterback and could plan accordingly. The Cardinals had no idea they were going to have to go to their backup quarterback and it looked like it. So, I mean, I just feel like ultimately this season and I've said it since before the season even started, you know, it was going to be about the defense holding up well enough and it was going to be the offense taking the step and what we saw earlier in the year when they were winning was the offense was doing that and when the offense stopped doing that the losses came
1: why is there a diagnosis obviously the cardinals coaching staff is going to spend the entire offseason cell scouting and trying to come up with an answer to that uh, the run game Kyle I guess I would start with that and and if you look at some of the numbers at least going into week 17 the numbers that I had going in uh, the Cardinals when it came to the run game. The first nine games of the year, they averaged almost 170 yards rushing per, they were six and three. The six weeks leading into week 17, they had averaged less than 112 yards rushing per game. So there was a big disparity between the beginning and the end when it came to rushing effectiveness.
2: Yeah. and. I I think definitely starting with week 11 in Seattle, that was certainly the pivot point when things started going bad. And my concern would be, it felt like that's when that blueprint was employed of, we're not going to let Kyler beat us. I mean, that KJ right play just is engraved in my memory where Kyler kept it on his own read and KJ just absolutely would not let him get the edge. And Kyler juked him like four times and couldn't get around him and got stopped on like third and one. And, and teams did that. They said, you're not pulling that zone read and running it. You have to hand the ball off. And the Cardinals couldn't effectively run it with Kenyon Drake. And that, to me, I mean, last year, what did he average? Five and a half yards per carry for the Cardinals. This year, it was 4.0. That's a big difference when you try to be a running team. And the fact that the Cardinals couldn't run effectively down the stretch. They had that great game against the Eagles. I mean, Kyler was incredible passing the ball against the Dolphins, against the Jets. He was really good. But overall, the the passing game wasn't consistent, and at the end of the year, it felt like you didn't really have either of those, and obviously that's a big concern. I mean, Kyler is such a great player that he's going to make plays out of structure, either running it or finding guys when the pocket breaks down. He's that good of a player, but – from a bread and butter efficiency standpoint, can you move the ball with just your basic zone read runs and your intermediate passing game? And to me, that's what I think needs to be accomplished in 2021 is really having that normal on-schedule efficiency.
1: And what was amazing to me was in the Rams game, the very first play from scrimmage, that first snap, hit for 11 or 12 yards. Yep. And, and Kenyon Drake trucked the DB. And you're like, wow, here we go, straight ahead run game you know, attack that Rams defensive front, which is the one book on them is if you're going to be effective against Aaron Donald, go after him. He's not the biggest guy. Second play, Kyler, a seven-yard run, but then three plays later, he gets sacked. The ankle gets injured. Everything changes from there forward. It just seemed, and you know what? You know what's particularly vexing, at least to me, is you look at the Niners and you look at all their injuries. That was not the case for the Cardinals on offense. They had most of their weapons, most of the season, the O-line was amazingly healthy for the most part, considering, especially 2020, you know, Max Williams, yeah, they could have used Max Williams, you know, especially with all of that run blocking he's great at, and he missed at least half the year. But otherwise, Darren, you know, excuses or injuries were not an excuse on offense, and a lot of teams couldn't say that.
0: No, and and again, you're you're talking about a situation, <clears throat> and getting back to why this 8-8 record is so disappointing in this case, it's because you were so close to the playoffs and we do know how long or how hard it is to get into the postseason. And they, you know, the, the, the league even extended the playoff spot one. Uh, and that's essentially what, well, they would have been six, I guess, if they would have won the game. But, um, you know, th- that's one of those things where it's like you don't get necessarily there easily on a year to year basis. And so to, to give up that chance. And I, I, again, I agree with all the offensive, um, you know, analysis here. I mean, you, you, you have to find a way to, to have that consistency. And I don't, I, I think there's a couple things that need to, I mean, the, the, the the penalties absolutely have to be cleaned up, uh, especially the false starts. Um, you have to get better with that. Um, and and i think they need more playmakers they need more playmakers besides deandre hopkins at this point um i think they're going to have to look long and hard about you know who they have you know is do do you feel like Kenyon drake's the guy to bring back or do you go in a different direction to pair with chase edmonds uh they got to find somebody besides hopkins we don't know what's going to happen with Fitz, but you know christian kirk's popped up a couple of times but it was not a great ending to the season for him he had a couple of key drops in key situations Uh, for touchdowns and then um, you know ends up with COVID and and obviously it's not his fault that he had COVID um, but you know you really could have used him in that last game and and clearly um, two years in I I don't know I don't know how many more chances if any Andy Isabella has at this point which you know that's rough
1: this is just a thumbnail assessment, and at the moment I start down this route, road, I'm I'm gonna acknowledge I'm over my skis. There's no doubt about it. When I'm talking X's and O's, I'm just. This is just more of a, uh, the eye test, the smell test of it. If you guys, for example, the Rams game, most and that's most indelibly burned in our memory as of late. So I'll start with that. Kyler comes back in early fourth quarter, and there was a play to Kenyon Drake and they picked up a first down. And then there was a run to Canyon Drake, he lost four. And then they started throwing downfield. They started going downfield, and there was a chunk throw to Sherfield. There was a chunk throw to Dan Arnold. And Kyler's seeing the field. He's having time to throw. Looks like he's going through his reads and his progressions. And then they started going laterally again. It just seemed like when the offense, and this is, this is my assessment, Monday morning quarterback, when they tried to go laterally, which to me is the one area where you can bring up the words air raid. Otherwise it has no application to this offense in the NFL, except when you see the wide receiver screens, except when you see some of the toss plays and whether it's a running back's fault or it's by design, they're going laterally instead of going North, South. Uh, That's when that drive stalled. And whether it was Carolina Where you thought and had hoped maybe the Cardinals had learned their lesson on offense, a lot of that, those plays were going laterally instead of vertically. It just seemed like whenever the Cardinals were able to go vertical and had that intent to go vertical, they were much more effective and much more likely to get a 400-yard game total offense.
2: I think that's, that's the key in the NFL is that intermediate and deep passing game. And I mean, if you can rip off a 20 or 25 yard chunk, how how much better of a success will that drive be because of that, instead of doing five yard bubble screen, three yard run, a lot of third and two, third and three, it's, I mean, you look, you think it's a decent position to be in, but third down is never good because you're one down away from potentially having to punt. So I think, I think you're right. I I think Cliff Kingsbury stopped doing as much wide receiver screens as the year went on. And I mean, I think in college, it's a situation where you can get five, six, seven yards pretty easily on this horizontal stuff. But in the NFL, man, these defenses are fast. These linebackers can cover and it's sometimes a little bit different. So I think, I think that's definitely the next step in the evolution of the offense is to get that intermediate passing game going. Uh, Kyler Murray's passer rating on intermediate passes heading into week 17 was I think 72.5 according to next gen stats and obviously that's not going to hack it so I think that's the the big thing to me is what to watch and I agree with Darren like you need that number two receiver next to DeAndre Hopkins next season and maybe Christian Kirk is better served as a slot receiver because of his height Uh, we'll see how it how it kind of lines up but I do feel like you need one more guy and you do need some semblance of that intermediate game.
1: What else, Darren? Anything else on your shopping list on offense or anything else that needs, needs to be addressed, fixed, remedied going into next year that really sticks out to you?
0: Um, Not necessarily anything in particular. Although again, when you start talking about all these free agents and, and what happens and I'm sure we'll address all that, In particular in, in future podcasts, but I mean, there's so many guys, I mean, tight end is a great example. The only tight end under contract next year is Max Williams. All the other guys are going to be free agents. So what, what do you want to do there? How does that, how do you want to go in that direction where I think you had some things work there when those guys weren't hurt, but uh, you know, Dan Arnold, I thought, had some moments. Obviously, he had the one really rough game that, that hurt them. But um, I think that's a good question. And, and the big thing for me, offensively, besides that, maybe that number two receiver is, is going to be what they decide to do with Kenyon Drake. What his, what his market might be. Do you want to bring him back anyways? Do you try and get a, a, a bigger back to pay, pair with Chase Edmonds, maybe give Chase Edmonds a little bit more work? And then have much more of a of a of a tandem kind of work. I, I I'm very curious, and and some of this guys might come down to the self scout of Cliff Kingsbury and the offensive coaches, and are how much are we going to tweak this offense? Are we going to tweak this offense? I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people, uh, the armchair quarterbacks who uh, feel very strongly about that right now, but you know do. Do the Cardinals do that? Does Cliff Kingsbury go back into do his uh, man cave and, and change some things up? And if so, uh, could that impact what personnel you might see on the other side?
1: I mean, it does appear that defense is adjusted midway through this year, and then it became adjust to the adjustment. And as the two and five finish would attest, too often the Cardinals were not successful in, in being able to adjust according to the defense You know, Darren mentioned, you know, how few points the Cardinals gave up at times and yet still didn't win the game. Yet in the Rams game, for example, in week 17, Cal, the Rams dominated time of possession. The Cardinals' number of possessions were few and far between because the defense couldn't get off the field. Now they were they bowed up in the red zone and 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 they were great in the red zone, but the Rams, after that first turnover by John Wolford, were pretty effective in moving the football. And obviously that factored into their ability to win the game. And and pull out an 18-7 uh, ugly slugfest, if you will.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the defense certainly didn't play fantastic, but when you give up nine points on that side of the ball, I think that's clearly good enough to win the game. I put the vast majority of the onus on the offense um, from that game, and I just go back to expectations for the deep defense compared to the offense. The fact that the Cardinals' defense finished number 10 in efficiency, according to Football Outsiders, to me, surpassed expectations, especially when you consider Chandler Jones was lost for the season in week five and you lost a lot of defensive linemen uh, late in the season. I mean, you were you were really fitting guys in and and getting great seasons out of guys that you weren't necessarily expecting. And I think Vance Joseph deserves credit for putting Hassan Reddick on the edge and seeing if that would work. They could have tried to trade Hassan Reddick in the offseason or kept him an inside linebacker, and they made that conscious decision, and it worked out fantastically. So I, I I give Vance Joseph a lot of credit. I thought the the blitz packages he did were very good. I thought his scheme was good. Um, the offense, to me, needed to do more, and I thought there were definitely games when the defense didn't play well enough, and against some star quarterbacks, they showed that they're not quite at that elite level but overall, I was I was very happy with what the defense did
0: this season. And I, I would agree with that. I think ultimately, um, again, going back to it, it's like, what were your expectations? What bar were you setting? I was not looking for the 2,000 Rams out of this group. And then when Robert Alford got hurt, uh, you know, then all of a sudden more questions there and, you know, Chandler Jones getting hurt. I mean, the, the fact... That in a nutshell, the whole pass rush thing, whether it was Hassan Reddick coming out of nowhere or Dennis Gardick coming out of nowhere, uh, that they were able to be a top 10 sacking team this season when Chandler Jones was hurt for most of it and only had one sack is mind blowing to me. If you would have told me that before the season that Chandler Jones would have played in whatever it was, four or five games and gotten one sack, I would have been like, this team is never, ever getting to the quarterback ever. And uh, and yet they were able to in in a lot of different ways. And it was more by committee. But, hey, ultimately, that's okay. And, And Hassan Reddick was great. And now we have to see again, are you able to bring him back? I, I think they would like to after everything that he and them have been through together. You, you, you would hope that now that he's just figuring it out that he wouldn't be leaving. But uh, at the same time, I think he's going to have a pretty healthy market. I I'd have to look, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's the best pass rusher on the market this year.
1: Yeah, is he poised to get like Olivier Vernon money? Remember that off season where Olivier Vernon had a career year and got paid like he was Deacon Jones. You know, who's the person who always throws out Deacon Jones as the cop? It's so dated. There's, there's a national announcer. It always always kills me. Always kills me that Deacon Jones even precedes my time, which is saying something. Here's what I'm going to throw out about the defense, because I am on board with you guys for the most part. But I'm going to throw this out there, and I want your opinion, and I know you will. Here we go. Um, for everything they did well, it was the division games that concerned me. It was against the 49ers not fitting the run in week 16 and giving up 227 yards rushing, a buck 83 to a third string running back that seemingly hit second level untouched repeatedly. It was the rematch against the Seahawks when they had 165 yards rushing. When Russell Wilson went 23 or 28 for a buck 97, two touchdowns, really efficient, no turnovers. It was this last game against the Rams where, they were able to mount long drives and hit you for a number of, of I'm not going chunk throws, but effective throws on second and long, third and long with John Wolford as the quarterback. I guess what I'm saying it was it was what gives me pause about the Cardinals' defense was how they performed in the division games, the all important division games, where it just seems like the Cardinals are a step behind when it comes to scheme on both sides of the ball. At times when you're going against the likes of Sean McVeigh, Kyle Shanahan, and, and and Pete Carroll, whether it's Pete Carroll's defense, Robert Salah's defense, Brandon Staley, the defensive coordinator, both sides of the ball, I just thought at times those were keys in those games, and too often than not, Cardinals are on the short end of that.
0: you know, it's it's interesting that my, my first thought, especially with the first things and losing on the running game. I mean, my first thought is again, this team. <laughs> for two years in a row has not had the defensive line it expected to. I mean, their best two defensive linemen missed a good chunk of the season. The guy that they signed to completely fortify the thing, Jordan Phillips barely played. Now you could argue about where he was even when he was in there, but still it's, you gotta have some health there. But that being said, you're right. And they're gonna have to find a way to make some of these things work. Um, Again, that last Rams game, I understand that the Wolford stuff, but I, it just, I, I have a tough time, like Kyle, I have a tough time getting past the fact that, um, you know, they only gave up nine points when they were on the field and, and you could argue, well, the Rams did well enough to hold the ball. You can argue the Rams turned the ball over at the two or the one and, and they were about to score and that was just luck. But I mean, if, if you're going to sit there and say, well, that was luck that you didn't stop them from scoring, then then you have to basically take away the Hale Murray and a win because that was luck too but it counts and if they don't get in the end zone it doesn't matter where you stop them you stop them so
1: I guess to put it another way guys is it seems like the division opponents have devised a game plan or a blueprint against the Cardinals offense but the Cardinals defense hasn't done the same against their division opponents and their offense yet
2: I mean you got to count the season opener when the 49ers only scored 20 I think game in Seattle like the Seahawks offense scored 26 points in that game and averaging we're averaging 32 or 33 at the time I think this is such an offensive league now that things get really skewed for a defense like every time you give up a first down people are really mad at defenses but there's just so much higher scoring games in the NFL now and it's hard for defenses I, I, I go back to I mean, it's not division, but the Cardinals played great defensively against Washington and the Giants and the Cowboys. I mean, they had some really outstanding defensive performances, and they had some other games where they weren't that great defensively. I I think it ebbed and flowed, and like I said earlier, I don't think this is a great, great defense, but I still think they overperformed expectations. And yeah, you would love to shut down Russell Wilson, but I mean, at that point, he was an MVP candidate when you played him twice and you did pretty good against Josh Allen, another MVP candidate. I think the Cardinals got lucky in that they faced a a large amount of average or below average quarterbacks this season. And I understand that argument. Um, That's why I like doing football outsiders because they adjust for who you're playing. Um, But yeah, I mean, you can definitely pick nits. The defense wasn't perfect, um, but still, I, I just think there was enough, enough good things there to be excited about where they're going considering you didn't have Chandler Jones, you didn't have like a great cornerback group and you somehow still got it done for the most part.
0: I mean, if you look at the stats, Paul, especially this year with the offensive explosions and referees calling penalties, especially holding penalties, offensive holding penalties a lot less. I mean, the the Cardinals and granted, they slumped at the end to score points but the, the Cardinals average 25.6 points a game. That's pretty healthy. I think that's 14th in the league. I mean, if you, if you look at, if you look at, at where the, the scoring is this season, I mean, it is, it is crazy to me how many points were scored. Um, overall, there, there there there's like five or six teams and, and uh, that, that scored at least 30 points a game. I mean, That's just one, two, three, five teams scored at least 30 points a game. There was another two teams that were over 29 points a game. So, so seven teams scored at least 29 points a game. So ultimately maybe we need to start. I mean, if you start thinking, well, this isn't the Steelers and you're not holding these teams to 17 points, that's not going to happen anymore. You're not holding a team to 17 points. And again, that goes back to what we were talking about before, which is that's why this offense has to come to play because We saw the issues this offense had, and it's still averaged 25 and a half points a game. So it really underscores where an offense has to be these days.
2: And if you if you take out the three defensive touchdowns and the two safeties, the Cardinals gave up, they allowed, I think, 21.5 points per game defensively. Like you said, that's that's a pretty solid season overall.
1: Uh, next question on the uh, Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Biggest need on defense. Darren, go. Oh. Uh,
0: I'm going to say as we stand right now, um, I'm, I'm going to say cornerback. Uh, but I think edge rusher is real close given how many free agents they have and given that Chandler Jones is going into his last year of his contract. Kyle? I think cornerback, not even if they re-sign Patrick Peterson, I think cornerback is a spot that they really have to address with some young blood.
2: Yeah. I, I think easily corner. I, you know, I get that they have a lot of free agents at address her, but I feel like you're going to figure that out and get one of those guys back. And if you've got Chandler Jones, Hassan Reddick and Dennis Gardeck, to me, that's, that's a solid trio. So I definitely say corner because are you going to pay Patrick? How much does he want? Is he worth a mega deal? Not a mega deal, but a, a significant contract at this time in his career. And if not, what do you do? So all eyes are on corner for me.
0: And, and I will, I will say the only thing I, uh, I hesitate on that is edge rusher is like, you know, I, I personally think that Chandler Jones bounces back and has a, a big year next year, but you don't know. And he did only have the one sack in the time that he played and you, he was getting pressures, but like, He's starting to get to that age where you're worried about any kind of drop-off. And so, and, and the Reddick thing, I, I, I agree. I mean, if they re-sign Reddick, I think they're absolutely fine. I agree with you 100%, Kyle. I'm just not 100% sure that they're going to be able to re-sign a sign Reddick. And as much as I love Marcus Golden, who absolutely wants to stay and I think wouldn't be a bad person on the other side from Chandler Jones in that regard, I just don't know how much production he's going to give you in terms of actual pass pressures and sacks.
1: Yeah, Devon Kennard's still under contract, but that's a big question mark, exactly what you have there at, at this point. And I'm with you. Uh, since middle of this season, I've been saying, you know what, they're going to go corner in round one. That's going to be the first round pick. We know the Steve Kine philosophy. It's either edge rusher, corner, quarterback, or uh, what's the other left one? Tackle. Left tackle. Um, So that would make sense when you when you gauge for that. I'll be honest with you, though. If there was a dynamic, Game changing middle linebacker, a Fred Warner type who was able to get run sideline to sideline and really be the heartbeat of this Cardinals defense who could play the next decade is that guy, a real alpha male at middle linebacker. I just, when I see those kind of guys and they're few and far between, I, I think of man, what would that do next to an Isaiah Simmons, for example over the next six to eight years. That that's something that could really transform a defense. We've seen it going all the way back to the Niners with Patrick Willis with that happened, what that did.
0: I, I it's just funny because I'm I'm looking as we're zooming this, I'm looking at Kyle's face and I know exactly what he's gonna say about a an inside linebacker in the first round.
2: Yeah, I was Go, ahead, it, Go ahead and say what she it, uh, it feels Kyle. like we're
1: rewinding the clock a year. <laughs> did, did, did you see Fred Warner in the backfield making a sack? Did you see Fred Warner down the middle third of the field, breaking up chunk throws intended for the tight end? I mean, that dude was everywhere in week 16. Isn't that hey, supposed
2: you, to
0: be Isaiah Simmons?
2: <laughs> if you can guarantee that he's going to be an all pro linebacker at number 16, it's worth it. But all things being equal, give me the cornerback, give me the wide receiver. I'd much rather go one of those two spots than inside backer.
1: All right, speaking of Isaiah Simmons, all right, I, I, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll light the fuse on this one. Tanner Vallejo replacing Jordan Hicks and getting all those snaps and getting a, a dozen tackles and the tackle for loss, and, you know, he, he, his name got called a lot. At times he was running around blocks, but his name got called a lot. <laughs> Should that have been Isaiah Simmons? Uh, Did did anybody else wonder? Now, wait a minute. I know he's not the backup for Jordan Hicks per se, but in a time of need like that, should that have been 48 at the centerpiece of that Cardinals defense?
2: I don't think so. I, I think Isaiah Simmons best trait is his versatility and his ability to cover. It's not run defense right now. And Tanner Vallejo was in that game even before Jordan Hicks got hurt. I think they wanted him to help stop the run against a backup quarterback against a team that you thought was going to pound the rock. And Isaiah Simmons is a a really good player, but you could tell they used him in nickel and dime and passing situations because that's what he's really good at right now. So I think – A, to play Mike is a big responsibility in the NFL, which he probably wasn't ready for if he needed to help line people up. And then just from a run defense perspective, he's more athletic, obviously, than Tanner Vallejo, but um, can he be in the right spot consistently? If If you're in the wrong gap, that can be a big deal in rush defense. And I think that was why they trusted Tanner Vallejo in that situation. And Isaiah Simmons still played. I mean, he was moving around doing other stuff like he's done all season. I think that was the role for him as a rookie. And then next year. Yeah. I think he's going to be a full-time inside backer, you know, as a starter and they can still move him around, but he's
1: definitely going to be in the starting lineup. I mean, considering the cap restrictions, Devondre Campbell, if there's one thing we know, Darren, Devondre Campbell will be a one-year Cardinal, and Isaiah Simmons is the starting inside linebacker next to Jordan Hicks next year, correct?
0: I feel pretty confident about that. I feel, you know, you're just – I mean, the, the idea – I mean, obviously, they signed Campbell before they even drafted Simmons, but, you know, Campbell was hoping to get more money on the open market last year, didn't get it, so he did the one-year deal – uh, and I think it worked out for both parties, but I would assume with Simmons, yeah, you probably move on from Campbell, and you go ahead and you install Simmons, and you say, this is where it's got to be, and and again, because of the monetary uh, restrictions, you're going to have to be smarter with whatever free agents you do sign, and if you have a guy on the uh, roster like a Simmons who's ready, you hope, to drop in that starting lineup, I don't think there's any question you got to go
1: ahead and do it. Patrick Peterson, going to be 31 this next season. Is he still an Arizona Cardinal? What do you think, Kyle? Literally no clue.
2: I I could see yes, I could see no. I mean, if, if the Cardinals had a young outside corner that was ready to be a CB1, then it, it doesn't make a ton of sense to try to, you know, give him top dollar and keep him. But like we talked about with this cornerback situation, if you don't keep Patrick – you got to fill two outside cornerback roles, and that's a premium position. You're paying somebody if you want to get a top flight one, and if you don't, that is super risky to go into a season without a corner that you can trust to stop elite wide receivers. I think Patrick Peterson certainly was not great this season, um, but he's durable. He knows what to do. I think he's a reliable cornerback still. It's just an interesting question about what he wants with his market. And at this age, how do you project if he's going to lose a step next season? Is he going to, you know, struggle against these good corners? I mean, DK Metcalf in that second matchup clearly had an athleticism advantage against Patrick Peterson, which you didn't say earlier in Patrick Peterson's career. So, where where is he going to be next season physically it's a huge question and that's why it's such a tough negotiation because Patrick can say hey look at all the Pro Bowls look at the all pros look what I've done and you can also say okay look at your age and and where your trajectory is going but it's a good question I I have no idea if he'll be back
1: I get the sense the Cardinals value him as much as any team and and Considering his age and the cap restrictions other teams have, Darren, I wouldn't be shocked if he's back next year. It might take a while in the offseason. It might take Patrick coming around to a different place in the marketplace, the salary structure than perhaps he envisioned going into this offseason. But considering the Cardinals' need and Patrick's affinity for the Cardinals and how they're uh, theoretically his number one choice, I think ultimately, eventually, they come to a deal. It's just that a number far reduced from perhaps what he might have envisioned going into the offseason. That's my gut feel.
0: I, I do agree that he, if, if he was given a preference, it would be, which is kind of ironic, given the trade stuff over the last couple of years. I do think being here would be his first choice. That's, he has not told me that, but I think that to be true with some of the things uh that I've heard from him and, and stuff like that. I agree that it probably wouldn't be if he was here, wouldn't be what he originally was thinking. But I mean, I, I think there's a lot of guys that are going to be going into the off season uh, perhaps thinking this. and so maybe, you know, maybe they should talk to Marcus Golden, who when he left a couple years ago, didn't get what he was hoping to get. And it, it ultimately got less money than Terrell Suggs here And I think if Marcus Golden had been willing to take perhaps what like Terrell Suggs took at the time, they might have just kept Marcus Golden at the time, rather than go to Terrell Suggs, who was obviously older. So um, I think there's going to be a lot of choices to be made, not only by teams, but by players in terms of money. When it comes to Patrick Peterson, uh, I, I could see all that. I mean, I feel like, and this is always the case with free agency where the money dries up pretty quickly. We know where the high broad teams, but like we will know if Patrick gets one of those deals like right out of the box. And then if it's not there, then, then things change. But that's like with anything, it's like with the Reddick stuff. I don't know exactly what his market's going to be. You know, maybe most teams are like, we, we, it's, his sample size is too small to really give him a lot of money, but it only takes one team. It only takes one team to money whip them and try and get them right out of the box. And the other thing that's super interesting, even though um, perhaps it's not supposed to be happening because these things aren't supposed to be talked about, but with no combine, usually players somehow amazingly start to figure out their free agent value right around combine time. Um, and the pot, there's a very strong possibility the combine will not happen uh, at its usual time and may get pushed back perhaps even uh, after after free agency starts. And if that happens, you know, how does, how do those conversations go and how does all that work? So I'm, I think free agency between the cap and how COVID's impacted that and all this other stuff, I think is going to be, it's going to be the most intriguing free agent uh, period, uh, quite frankly, I've ever covered.
1: And Look, we, we still have plenty of the off season to deliberate Larry. And we've done that each of the last few off seasons. So we're on Fitz watch. We won't get into it right here necessarily we'll save that for, for for another time unless one of you has something you want to break here on cardinals underground brought to you by pacific <laughs> office automation proud partner of the arizona cardinal anything you want to you sort of have a, a sly grin on your face kyle is there something you want to offer up
2: yeah larry fitzgerald is contemplating retirement
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay all right well you know, he was leaving that field. I snapped an aerial picture from above of Larry and tweeted out, you barely make him out. It was a horrendous photo by me. It just really didn't make NFL Network like Darren. but, I'll, but I'll, I'll take my 217 likes and, you know, be proud of nice. it. Nice. That's nothing for you guys, but uh, it just it's the power of Larry and what he's able to do, you know, for poly social media. Um, let me throw this out there because this is – This is real nebulous and this will not show up in your analytics, Kyle, although it should, it should, it should give you reason for pause. But when you look at why the Cardinals led the NFL in penalties, when you look at why the Cardinals had lapses in intensity and energy and focus, and that's not just us, that's the head coach citing it off the top of his presser after they lost in week 16 to a Niners team. So when you try and account for that, how do you address that in an off season? Anybody have a theory? I mean, what what do you do about that? Do you go try and find a Tyron Matthew type who you hope is the heartbeat of your team? That guy everyone else can feed off of no matter what the circumstances. What do you do if you're the GM and, and you're in charge of constructing this team?
2: Uh, it, it is kind of a weird deal. Like you look at the false starts and everybody knows that you're not supposed to fall start. Like, I don't understand how you get that more into people's heads i think the stuff like when you're more disciplined about pre or or post snap penalties like like you know unsportsman likes and stuff like that like the the Drake Kirkpatrick penalty comes to mind and then the deandre hopkins ones in the finale like that sort of stuff maybe if you have a very structured thing then you can try to get that stuff out this offseason because you do look at like the Patriots and certain teams and they're pretty commonly among the least penalized. So I feel like, you know, if you can coach it to all these different players over the years, you're you're certainly doing something to make sure your team isn't penalized. I don't personally know exactly what you do or what you say, but I think there's some sort of formula there to get it. And yeah, that can be important in a, in a sport where games are so close. I mean, we can look back at, a few calls in certain games, and maybe that turns one game and the Cardinals are in the playoffs. So you want to be as least penalized as possible knowing that it's going to happen, but hey, let's not shoot ourselves in the foot if we can't, if we can avoid it.
1: I mean, there was a game this year, Darren, where the Cardinals offensive line had four false starts in a single game. Yeah. You know, we, we saw in this last game, DeAndre Hopkins, you know, the Cardinals offense was seemingly starting to get it in gear and all of a sudden it's first and 35. After the unsportsmanlike, after the PI offensive PI penalty, and and he was far from the only one. It, it was a persistent theme in 2020. Do you have to go Sergeant Rock if you're the coaching staff? Is that well, a matter of, of how you remedy something like that?
0: I think the problem is is I don't I don't think you can. I don't think that's Cliff Kingsbury's personality, and you know the the old school thought process which I agree with which is you can always come in hard and ease up later but if you if you start easier and then get harder you know Cliff Kingsbury believes very strongly that these guys are professionals and they can handle themselves and that's what he's counting on and and you know I I think some of it is is going to have to be leadership in the locker room you know I think players they talk about holding each other accountable but then you actually have to hold each other accountable. And, and how that would go. And, and I'm sure some of that also falls on the coaches too, but um, this is all things that I, I think Cliff Kingsbury continues to learn. And I know we haven't talked a lot about it and not that we were going to, but you know, I know there's a, a lot of fans out there that are very angry with the head coach right now. They're angry with the head coach and you know, some of them want to change. And that makes no sense to me, to be honest. Um, I try and look at things, these things a little bit more logically. I'm not trying to say everything that the coach and this coaching staff or the players have done is perfectly, or Steve Kime. Um, but this is also a team that has been through a couple of coaching changes over the past few years. And I, I know that you know when you're in the building and you see this, the, the, the change when you bring a new coach in, that's like trying to turn the Titanic a little bit a big ocean freighter, um, in terms of getting everything in place, uh, the timing of it all. It is, it's, it's not a quick thing where you just drop a guy in and then everything's fixed. And, uh, I just, I'm just not a big fan of it. And I do believe that continuity matters. And, and, and I think next year is a huge year for this quarterback, for this head coach, for this franchise and, uh, for the GM in terms of, of how it turns out. But, um, I do think they took some steps forward and when you talk about the penalties, we start talking about stuff that feels very fixable. So they're going to have the chance to fix these things and, and, and we're going to see what happens and how it plays out on the field
1: in 2021. And to me, you knew this going in, when you brought in Cliff and Kyler, that there was going to be a learning curve and it might not just be the first year, it might be the first two years. If you had a head coach in place right now who had had 20 years NFL experience, and this is what had happened, you finished by losing five of your last seven, then maybe you've seen the upside. Maybe you've realized, okay, this is going to be the, uh, you know, you've just maximized what this regime is all going to be about. But that's not the case here. You have a quarterback and a head coach who just completed year two in this league in those capacities, and, and they're still learning. So I get it. I get the frustration, and I don't mind it because it means people care. It's when you get the apathy, that's that's when it's it's time to be concerned and, and everyone involved, you know, is frustrated. Um, and for everything that went on this year, you know, we can, we've named a lot of names, but let's wrap up this edition of Cardinals Underground brought to you by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals with a well-earned shout out for the head athletic trainer, Tom Reed and his staff. You guys have seen it on a daily basis. I mean, Kyle, Think of the gargantuan Herculean tasks that they've had to take up from scratch starting way back in March that's involved daily testing. All along the way, every member of the organization has been impacted and has been cared for in some capacity by Tom Reed and his staff.
2: Yeah, and I still remember the, the flight plan episode this off season when they interviewed him, and I think at that point he said he, he hadn't had a day off, and that had been several months. I, I'm sure he still hasn't had a day off in a really long time. And just, yeah, the monumental effort he does during a regular season without all this stuff, he's incredibly busy. And I just, yeah, I think humongous props go to him. I personally had COVID-19 a few weeks ago, and the way he made me feel – helped me you know he texted me asked how i was doing told me what to do he really alleviated a lot of concerns when you get it cuz it's it's a crazy time and you're really worried about a lot of stuff and the care he showed me was was so incredible and knowing that i'm not a player i'm not a coach i'm just a somebody on the other side of the organization who isn't who doesn't matter in win or losses for the game. And the way he treated me was fantastic. And I'm sure he showed that type of empathy to every single person that either had COVID or was a close contact. And like you said, just a, an absolutely incredible job and huge props to Tom Reed.
0: And, and I've saying, and Paul, you've, you've been doing this too. I mean, uh, I've been fortunate enough to be high enough up the food chain that, Uh, I've been in the building most of the season. Uh, I was able to take uh, all but one uh, road trip. So I missed only one game uh, because of protocols, not because I was sick, fortunately. Um, And I've been tested on a daily basis for months now. Um, And and seeing what Tom has done, what uh, Jessica, one of the equipment interns who ended up uh, becoming a point person in terms of getting the testing information out to everybody and and getting us the, uh, the the connects uh, things that we wear to make sure we know what of close contacts to uh, Matt Carciola, who's the the VP of football operations and facilities who has worked with Tom to make sure travel works, make sure the building is safe, make sure everybody's in the right places and all the things that we needed. Um, It's, it's really, it's been a, herculean task for some of those people tom included and and for us to be here uh, to have gotten through a full football season um i know there's people out there in the world that are upset and don't believe that there should have been sports played um but i I think that everybody involved both here locally and on a bigger picture they've worked really hard to make sure it's, it was as safe as possible. And uh, it, it's really been an uh, amazing experience. I'd rather never go through it again, uh, but uh, it's, it's been really uh, incredible to have gone through this and uh, to be able to say I, I was part of it.
1: Yeah. You're here on that. Just think of the unknowns. Think of where we were in August as they were canceling preseason games and, and we all wondered out loud, now, wait a minute, can you play full contact football in the middle of a pandemic? nobody really knew and 256 games later every single game on the nfl schedule completed going into the first round of the playoffs guess what here they are as a league and so yeah i can't imagine the physical and mental exhaustion by tom reed right now and that staff so here's hoping sometime soon they get some r&r something for mental health what do you guys do for mental health by the way come on now you guys have been grinding six, seven days a week all year long. Kyle, what do you got lined up?
2: I play chess. Come on, man.
1: <laughs> now, Kyle, be honest. Have you just jumped the chess bandwagon started by Kyler? Or, I mean, come on now.
0: Are we back to this now? The,
1: f- the funny thing is,
2: I mean, yeah, there was the Kyler stretch, but then Queen's Gambit went on Netflix, and it chess just exploded. There's like... I think there's streaming of chess on Twitch now. People are watching people play chess. So I'm in nerd heaven now that chess is in the limelight.
0: Or you could just, or, or you know, I, I think there's some video of Kyler, uh, Kyler, sorry about that. Kyle playing chess on YouTube. I think if you just, if you Google Kyle Odegaard and East Valley Tribune, and, no. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you'll find some good videos of Kyle. Well, Not you know,
1: chess. My my hats never did take off. MOGA hats making offense great again.
0: Oh God. Maybe see, now I'm gonna now I'm gonna get another tweet from Will Each.
1: No, maybe we need the MCGA hats, you know, making chess great again. Maybe, you know, that's that would, you know, that, that would go along well with your Dale Earnhardt hat that nobody can see on this edition of Cardinals Underground. Brought to you by Pacific Office Automate. What? That's not Dale Earnhardt? What is that, Kyle? First of all, chess has always been great and it'll never not be great.
2: (laughs) Second of all, it's a Chance the Rapper hat. I am the rare guy who likes chess
1: and likes Chance the Rapper. Probably the only person in the world. (laughs) I did not know Chance the Rapper was in the number three car in the NASCAR circuit. I did not realize that. Okay, well, I guess I learned something every week in this edition of Cardinals Underground.